find of him for the word of God is, is declared. It's hymn number 256. Break down the bread of life. Hymn number 256. Judges rule that there was a famine in the land, 
And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Machlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Mahlon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And our key text this morning, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. <laughs> Obviously, I need help this morning. And the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help. My strength is in the Lord. Our Father, we dare not come to your word with self-knowledge and self-ambition, we would fail before we begin. And thus we pray for your help. And we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit for your people, as they would join me in the study of your word. Shield me from error and help me to bring out the truths of your word to the profit of your people and to the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are beginning a new exposition series from the book of Ruth. We always wonder what next. I love the Old Testament because it is so rich in gospel. And I was tempted to go into the New Testament, but I felt led to stick with the Old Testament narratives. I, I seek your prayers in this endeavor and your support in coming to hear the gospel. Many of us can remember that we shared from this book before in Lord's Day evening messages. Now, every time I do a series, I do not go back to the old messages. I start fresh without even looking. Uh, at times I may look to see if I'm on the same path, but I will be cheating you and I'll be cheating myself because the word of God is fresh every time you study it. And it is so true that I have discovered some insights that I never saw before from the book. But you may remember we did it before but this time we will seek to do a more comprehensive study. The book of Ruth is one of those books in the Bible 
that many people think they know. But the truth of the matter is, they don't understand the book of Ruth. They don't know it. Unlike any other book, we think we know and we don't know. This book has gained the admiration of many people, even unbelievers. The words of the narrative are recited at weddings. And this book is viewed as a love story between a young Moabite widow and a rich man of Bethlehem. Now those who understand the Bible will sense what the spiritual message of Ruth is all about. Only a student of the Bible would understand it. It is true that it is a love story, but it is more than a love story between a man and a woman. It is a love story between Christ and his church. And that's why we read Psalm 45 to show you the beauty of Christ and the beauty of his church. We don't read the Bible randomly here, but deliberately to accommodate God's word. Therefore, in our study of this book, we will be looking more at the gospel narrative seen in Old Testament literature. I will also be looking at the practical narrative in the book of Ruth and how it speaks to Christians today. Ruth was written 1100 years before Christ, during the time of the judges, just after the judges. Commentators have credited its authorship to Samuel, but we do not know for certain. Don't ever get into that habit in crediting books to men that the Bible didn't say. We will run into a lot of trouble. That's not our business. What we are certain of is Scripture came from the hand of God and speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. You're safe when you go that way. We will first observe together the historical narrative showing three heads. The historical narrative. Within these heads, I will be making applications in the historical narrative. First, we see the prevailing season in Israel. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Here we are directed to a time reference. In the days when the judges ruled. Now Samuel was the last judge of a series of many judges in Israel. This may be why many suggest that he is the human author. It is possible. But it was a sad season in Israel's history. From the days of Egypt right until the period of Joshua, when they entered into a covenant relationship with God, the Lord was Israel's king. He was their shepherd throughout that period. After the death of Joshua, there was a period of 300 plus years known as the period of the judges where Israel had a pattern of spiritual backsliding. 
That's the book of Judges. There is a sad epitaph that is recorded twice in the book of Judges. Judges 17, 6 and Judges 21, 5. And here it is. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Twice in the book. The family of Naomi, Elimelech especially, were victims of this sad season where men did what was right in their own eyes. Now these words are also true in the spiritual realm and in the church today, in our church, where there is no king in our lives, everyone will do what is right in their eyes. When there is no savior, people in the church would do what is right in their eyes, and we see it all the time. This is one way we can interpret this passage. It's also true in the life, this is true in the lives of many, many professing Christians. Where there is no spiritual leadership in a person's life, they would do what they want to do. Don't be this way. Verse 1 goes on to say, there was a famine in the land. Now, famines in the scripture did not just happen by chance, Charlie. They were directed by God as a sign to God's people that they are slipping, a sign to show they were walking contrary to God's will. Second Chronicles, if I bring, if I bring famine or I shut up the rain, if I send the locusts, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then would I hear from heaven and heal their land. But, but notice what happened. If I send famine, if I send pestilence, if I send the sword, and boy, how God has sent these things in our homes and in our churches today. It is to show the direction that we are on. Famines don't just happen. Walk up and down the street, visit churches, sit and listen, and you would see the famine I'm speaking about. We read in the days of the kings that this famine would come. Old Testament commentator Richard Phillips noted that verse 1 is not merely a date stamp to locate a moment in history. He's commenting on verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. He says, rather, it is a theological description of the character of the times in which these events took place. End of quote. It, it was a repeated cycle of a trend in Israel. You know why Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Famine was part of the curse of God 
that he threatened to bring on his people for disobedience. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I'll read it to you, verses 23 and 24. Deuteronomy 28, verses 23 and 24. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. And the Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder, and dust from heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. Deuteronomy 28. This was part of what God said he would do. There would be rain, but it should be powder. It would be powder. Heaven above should be like brass. In other words, God would not respond to prayer. When heaven becomes brass, it means that God is not responding to man. If rain becomes powder, it means that there is no harvest to reach. What are we seeing in our churches today? What are we seeing? Are we seeing conversions? Is the gospel powder? In this joint, you should look at these things seriously. You ever wonder why some people in the church seem as though they gain so much in life and never gain anything from the word? They work 26 hour, hour days and have nothing to show. They owe and never can pay back. God is not dead, Christian, in our lives. He's very active. Heaven becomes brass. No answer to prayer. It was a time to check our spiritual lives. This was the sad season that prevailed in Israel. It is highly possible that this season is permeating our churches today. When I look in here in the morning, and when I walk in, I just shake my head. Few people. I don't say much, but I just do it this. You need to pray. Point number two, privileged family, verses 1b through 3. Privilege family, 1b through 3. Certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Well, this is a privileged family. They were a covenant family. In the, the name and the place where he's from tells us this. In the place Messiah was to be born. Now, these words are not just thrown together. Here. It was a privileged family. They belonged to Bethlehem, Judah. You know what Bethlehem the word means. If you don't know, ask somebody. We sang this morning, break thou the bread of life. And we are told Jesus is the bread of life. We sang it in the song. It should help us understand the message, Mabel. So put, put these things together. There was nothing wrong with Elimelech seeking greener pastures abroad. 
but once too often greener pastures are sought to neglect to the to the neglect of green pastures where our shepherd causes his sheep to lie down. And we have seen this in our church. Greener pastures are sought to the neglect of green pastures where the Lord has caused us to lie down. Let us take the word of God personally. Otherwise, we're not preaching to our people. Quite often, economic hardship drives the wheels of decision in one's choices as Christians. Instead of the Lord's people waiting on the Lord, they often tend to go to Moab. Use a figure of speech. Privileged people do not always see that which is spiritual. But that which is expedient. But the Lord's redemptive plan, and, and, and the Lord is in all of this. His plan will not be thwarted. One admirable thing can we credit this certain man, Elimelech, for, and we ought to give him credit. It says, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And we should take note of this. He was not a deadbeat dad or an irresponsible husband. And we should take note of this. I pick up on this. He didn't left his, ran off and left his family to rot. He was a provider. Let's take out this, brethren. And some of us have literally left our sons, our wives, and our daughters to rot spiritually. Don't think I'm going to bypass this. We don't care for our sons. Or we only care for them materially, like this one. But he erred as he sought to provide. And you and I can learn from his error. He only looked to provide that which was material. God is going to use him as an example for me and you. Verse 2 says, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malhorn and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. They came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, God never gave names back then arbitrarily, but I'm not going to get into the names now. But we would call this a royal family. They're called blue bloods, if you may. Bethlehem, Judah was a biblical historic place. Rachel was buried there and some other historic people. It was a covenant heritage, Micah 5. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. 
no savior was promised to Moab. Moab was opposed to Bethlehem. Once the king of Moab hired a false prophet to curse Israel. Moab had no desire to see Israel advance to the promised land. As a matter of fact, it was the last city that they were held up. They didn't want them to go over. You should pay attention to these things. The world will restrict you from advancing to Christ. Deuteronomy 23, 3 and 4, An Amorite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever, because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against you, Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pithor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. No, I know that some of us would understand this text. Moab had no gospel. They weren't an aid to God's people. And some of us find ourselves in churches that have no gospel. That don't provide aid for us to go to heaven. Oh yeah, they got the, the song the same way. They got the hymns. They read the Bible. But often, no gospel. Self-help. Do what you can. God love you. We love everybody. Behave as you like. Why is Mr. Elimelech heading in this direction with all the odds against his Christian values? Many professing Christians launch out to go places where there is no substantial gospel witness. Some of our people take off. When you when you really speak to them, where are you going to you going to church or I labor here with them for years and they take off. Is that what you would be like, Jackie? I hope not. I will come get you. I'm serious. So I just, people think they understand this book, but they don't really understand it. They ain't digging deep enough. You're just seeing a love story. People will tell you in a minute, you are not the only church. Well, that's true. But the truth of the matter is, where they are seeking to go is nothing more than Moab. This privileged family surrendered gospel privileges. Hence we read in verse 3 and 4, let's work together, it's a short book. And Elimelech Naomi's husband died. Brethren, the wages of sin is always death. And she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives, the women of Moab, name of one was Ophir, name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about 10 years. This is what happened, Papa. This is what happened, Daddy. This is what happened, Daddy, when you are not a spiritual leader. 
expect your children to marry the heathen. And they might bring them here and fuss with me to marry them too. Murphy's Law is not a law, it's an axiom. It's developed back in the 20th century, meaning anything that can go wrong will go wrong. You know, I used to do electrical work to earn money, extra money. And when they come into the ministry, I had, to, I had to stop. And sometimes people might call me and I might go to help somebody and do maybe a job or something. And I find that I couldn't get the work done. Uh, I used to come home and tell my wife, you know, for somehow I can't do electrical work anymore. Everything that can go wrong, go wrong. You know, you know what God was telling me? Didn't I call you to the ministry? Put that pliers down. That's not for you to do. Even in here, I tell the man, look, call in an electrician. I ain't doing it anymore. By the way, Colin, the element of the thermostat is going. You need to put a new one in. Don't ask the pastor to do it again. Unless you're going to give me $500. But what I'm trying to show you is that sometimes God calls you away from something. Leave it. Don't go back to it. Focus on what he has called you to. Bethlehem, Judah. You see how practical this message is? Now, this was the experience with Naomi and her family. Her husband died, her two sons subsequently found wives in Moab with Moabitish women, something that was forbidden in the book of Deuteronomy. Sin has a way of multiplying, um, and this would happen in your life, young people. You get yourself with an unsafe person, you can expect that your life will be in a downward spiral. You see it here in church. Get married and they're gone on. They become just like the one they married to. Unfaithful, uncommitted. After a period of 10 years, her sons died. Verse 5 Malon and Chilion died also. Both of them, the women, the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Why is God dealing so hard with this family? Elimelech was faced with a choice. Bethlehem means house of bread, but it had become a place of drought and famine. Elimelech could have remained and should have remained, I got hindsight, and mourned with his people until God answered his prayers, or he could leave the promised land in search for greener pastures. He opted to go to Moab. Christian, be careful of the choices you make. Moab had food, plenty food, but only for the body. He traded what he could not see for what he could see. And this sounds familiar. Lot looked around. He saw the plains of Sodom was well watered. 
But the men of Sodom, Sodom were wicked and ungodly in the sight of God. One day, the kings, the four kings, come and take everything from Lot. Everything. Abraham rescued him. But Lot went right back in the same cesspool. Lost his wife. Whenever a person who claims to be a Christian put that which is material before that which is spiritual, they are on a downward spiral. You may not see it, but it will happen. The Lord said through the prophet Hosea 2, verse 6 through 8, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall that she shall not find her paths, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold which they prepared for Baal. I know you understand these words. You know God speaks like this to his people and he speaks like this to us. God has a way of making man's way a hedge of thorns. Elimelech found out that the way he chose instead of, instead of it yielding life, it yielded death. Young people, listen carefully. The prodigal learned that all that glitters is not gold. These are our first two parts to the historical narrative. Sad season prevail. Privileged people, a family, blue bloods, covenant people, in the church, heard the gospel. Finally, finally. The turning point. The turning point. Verse 6. Cute text. You know, usually the cute text I would elaborate on more to show the spiritual meaning. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. What a powerful verse. How can you dissect this verse? Now, in the lives of most Christians, there is what is known as a watershed period, a turning point, something that took place beyond their control, which caused a turnaround. And you may recall that in your life, where God used something to get your attention. Some of us maybe have experienced a bout of serious sickness. Some women were close to death in childbirth, and they, they, they came to their senses. Jacob saw a turning point at Fort Jabbok, Fort Jabbok when he was in stark fear. 
His brother was running behind him to kill him. Jacob didn't know what to do. It's a picture of the law on our tracks. God met him. The messenger touched the hollow of his thigh. He was changed. His name was changed to Israel, Prince. That is conversion, a new nature. That's what you need. A turning point, a watershed period in your life. The prodigal saw a watershed period in his life. He was reduced to a pig pen. After having the, the life of luxury in his father's house. Some of us may have seen the hand of God differently. I may have seen it differently. I came to this country as a young man. Looking for everything. The party scene and all. God struck me down. Death. And some of you, God, haven't touched yet. You're playing church. Don't play with God. Every child of God had a watershed period that they can remember. Yes. Book of Ruth shows us a turning point in the lives of two women in Israel who were victims of a bad decision. At least three major spiritual lessons are taught in the first paragraph of the narrative in verse six, or key text. How unfortunate for the husband and family of Naomi in this narrative. If they only had stayed, they would have lived. I got hindsight, it's hypothetical. But what is written before in the scriptures is written that you and I must may have hope. Don't take the word of God literally. There were some things that precipitated Naomi's turnaround. There are the same things needed in your heart if you will be changed that I want to share from you. It is the spiritual narrative within the historical narrative that we must find in Bible exposition. The first thing we read is Naomi arose, verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law. The word then implies that there was a point in time when Naomi saw the light, she arose. The phrase she arose can mean two things. One, Naomi may have been in a state of mourning and depression and sadness, and you would be. She suddenly realizes life must go on without husband and sons. This is the way when death comes into our lives. Don't throw in the towel. 
the Christian life must go on. And I hope you hear me carefully. Sometimes our husband go and we go with him too. Disappear off the scene. Life must go on. But to arise in the Bible has a deeper meaning than just a physical arising. To arise is the starting point of the backslider. The new birth. The apostle says, wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. Don't go back to Moab, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the, the days are evil. Don't go back and do what your husband did. It's a command of God that he gives to the church. Give it to Ephesus, who were spiritually asleep. With all the heritage they had, they were asleep, like some of you. Asleep is the beginning point of spiritual usefulness. Arise. Second, B, Naomi sought to return. It says she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Now this describes effort, will of Naomi. To return is a synonym used in the Bible that infers that one was previously separated from God. And this is what she was, historically and spiritually. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3, 7. God is the one that grants us the strength and the will to return. Unfortunately, some people never return after they backsliding. They stay in Moab. And the next time we will learn a little about Orpha. Once she was exposed to the gospel, just like Ruth was, she was exposed to Naomi, and Naomi did a wonderful job in showing an example to these girls. But when crunch time came, Orpah says, no, let me go back to my gods in Moab. And that's where the story begins to unfold, where you see the sovereign hand of God in a life that he's saving. And, and we should pay attention to these sayings. But she sought to return. And it, it, it is good. It is, it, it, is, it is similar to the prodigal. When, when the prodigal came to his senses, he said, how many hard servants of my father uh, that he have, and I'm here, I'm perishing. Uh, you notice the word he used, I'm perishing here with, with hunger. I will arise 
look at my father. And notice how he came. I will say, Father, forgive me. Have you come to that point in your life? Have you come, young people, have you come to that point in your life? Boys, have you come to that point in your life? I want to know. She rose. She saw it. Well, she will. To turn back. Third, she heard. She heard. Verse 6, Farsi. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. Notice where she heard. Or where she heard the word of God. In Moab. In the place she was, in the dungeon, in the cesspool, in the sin. That's where we're here. Right in the church where we are, we can be in Moab. Where we're here. People may leave God. But the word of God may never leave people. But that's why you teach the children. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Teach them. One day they might hear. Naomi heard that the Lord had provided bread. He had visited his people. Now if Naomi is one of his people, she must return to the place where bread is provided. You think I just, you think I just listen to some of our people? You, you really think I do, Jenny? I don't. I listen to my ear. You think I just listen to some of you all? Don't make me laugh. All three of these action words that I shared with you have spiritual meaning to the soul that is seeking the bread of life. In order to find bread for your soul, there must be a newness of life, a resurrection of the spirit. Those who are risen with Christ, I think I heard that this morning, will seek things above. They will seek those things where Christ is seated. Where there is no seeking means there is no new birth. These are the same things we read in the life of the prodigal that I tried to quote in Luke chapter 15. When he said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. Beautiful story, the omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent father, God. And, and this young man, 
the, the, the father was waiting. The father motivated him to come. The father was waiting to receive him. But he didn't come with plea bargains. He says, make me a servant. That's all. I don't have to do anything in your house. I'm just a servant. These are three heads from our exposition, brethren, in the first chapter of Ruth, 1, 1 through 6. The season that prevailed, judges rule, every man did what was right in his eyes. Famine in the land, Bethlehem, Judah. Second, a privileged family. Elimelech did not act as though he was a privileged man. His choice in leaving Bethlehem was not a wise choice. We have hindsight. We can look back, but we can benefit. Expediency drove him to Moab. I, I reference how some people go out of state, go different places. There's no witness. There's no gospel witness. Nothing to speak of, really. If there were, I would have known of them. Subsequently, he died after 10 years. His sons quickly married heathen women. No, 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 no perpetuation of the gospel anymore. The, the children cut off. Children are not interested in church. Their families are not interest, interested in church anymore. Um, that's what happened. We saw the turning point after 10 plus years. Naomi's eyes turned homeward, not because of homesickness, but because of the Lord's providence. The Lord knows where and when to get our attention. Now, I will close the message today with some practical and moral lessons. This will be our final um, trek. Practical what it means to me. One, a person's identity with the church does not mean anything. Many, many long, long standing people in this church surprise me. I often, I often wonder who will surprise me next. It's a bad way to live, but I have learned not to put trust in man. A person's identity with the church doesn't mean anything. Elimelech name means my God is king. But Elimelech became king to himself. God wasn't his king. He didn't live out his name. Our identity with Christ by carrying the Christian name doesn't mean anything. We are privileged people. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Brethren, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? And do not do the things I say to you. Why? Why do you call me Lord? It's blasphemy. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. Come on. We say we are Christian. But Christ is not king of our lives. He's a sideshow, a bellhop. This is first 
moral and practical message they can draw. Doesn't doesn't necessarily you you're not necessarily what you say you are, brethren. And this is seen in this man and his children too. All the names. Second, by way of thoughtful, practical application, never neglect the soul for the things of this world. Never neglect your soul for the world. There are a lot of young people say, can't come to church, but I got a paper to write. Well, write your paper, get your degree. I hope it take you to heaven. Never neglect the soul for the things of the body. This is easier said than done. The word of God says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. It's some eternal life. What it is saying is a proof that you are living. As Curtis was talking about this morning. People may be nourishing their bodies to the neglect of their souls. And you know a person can lose their minds. Dementia. They don't know $10 from a thousand. Their minds are gone. They work feverishly. You have no mind. But if you have a soul, a redeemed soul, nobody can take that from you. Our brother in Montville don't know where he is most of the time. But when you go to see him, he's spitting out the word of God. How do you remember that? I hope that on my dying bed that my soul is still active. There's nothing I can grab a hold of. And some of us are grabbing to the very end. Can't come to church. Never neglect the soul for the things of the body. Some of us can get on an aircraft quicker than me. Who's called to preach different places. Easier said than done. Don't nourish your body to the neglect of your soul. Now, this is a moral message and a literal practical message to Christians today. If you're one under the gospel, and I know some of us are not committed, you are a privileged person, but we can neglect those privileges. Don't neglect them. Lastly, and very importantly, the decisions you make have consequences, serious consequences. Some of us are living with those consequences, especially with heads of families. Word to you men in this church. Men make decisions. Some men can't make decisions at all in the house. They handpack. You know what I mean by that? You can't make no decisions. Marcel, let me tell you, you ain't married a man like that. 
and you should be thankful. Lord, give me, give you to me that I can lead you and direct you in spiritual things. And I'm thankful that you listen. And I need to publicly endorse you. Don't fuss with me when I get home. The word of God is the word of God. Especially to some of you men. Make decisions without considering the effect they have on their wives. And others take them places that are worldly instead of shielding their wives. Don't have, don't have any concern for the church. Make decisions and run off. Up in here. That's consequences. Let's get real in our Christian walk. I think I can just come here and give you historical information. Sorry for you. Never neglect the soul for the things of the body, but our decisions have consequences. I went, but I made sure that I was back yesterday. I got men to encourage. I got a church to instruct. You should look at those things. I won't pat myself on the back. We're not looking at those things that God is doing in the lives of his people. If you're called to show an example, watch your decisions. You see what happened to this man. Two sons, two is a picture of the church. You might, decisions you make might kill the church instead of blessing it. We are living in a season where there is a great famine. The gospel reign has become powder in the ears of many. We thank God for the remnant. We are getting older, but we're is the new generation. We are in a season when men are doing what is right in their own eyes and you can't tell them anything because they say that you are cramping their style. Denying the rule and lordship of the Savior. It is not that the gospel is not proclaimed, but it is just that God has not granted the watershed period in our lives. This is the season prevailing in our church and in many churches. But just as we saw in our narrative, some of us, I said, are privileged people, favored people. But favored people do not always act favorably, but foolishly. When I say many are favored people, it is because we are near the promises of God. We, we are hearing the gospel. So brethren, this message, number one, this first message, the gospel according to Ruth, let it sink in deeply, especially the applications. Let's pray. Amen.
We thank you for your help this day, O oh Lord God. We pray that you will bless your most holy word. O oh Lord God, we know how attractive the world can be in our eyes. But having seen the beauty of our Lord in Psalm 45, what is it that can deter us from him? We pray that you will help us to seek him with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.